Buddy, I want to welcome you to our show. This show is called The Drunken UX Podcast, and I am your host, co-host. Damn it, I had it even in my head. I was going to come in saying I was a co-host, and I screwed it up. I let the cadence get to me. Uh, I'm, I was sitting in my head. I was thinking about this Joe Rogan thing that uh, is going around where an AI system uh, emulated Joe Rogan's voice. They an- they analyzed like hundreds of hours of Joe Rogan's uh, podcast and generated a computerized version of him, and it it was frighteningly good. Wait, wait, wait! Is it where an actual AI actually analyzes his voice, or was this a thing where it's like we analyzed a thousand hours of his voice? No, this is what we made. No, no, like they they had a machine learning system go in and review oh, the okay. audio to like generate waveforms that duplicate, like you you know, like in sci fi when you know yeah. you need. You know, uh, initiate self-destruct authorization Picard Delta Seven, and you, you. But you need the voice print, right? You need the right voice for it. So th- what they did was they generated a system that, unlike you know, you listen to Siri or Alexa or Google or whatever, and you know they've got mm-hmm. the the kind of not totally human sounding voice. Yeah, it was Uncanny Valley. It was yeah. that, but better. Interesting. Um, it wasn't scary. quite as angry or energized as Joe Rogan, but. Um, <laughs> Well, how do you still... get a computer drunk, right? Or stoned? Well, that's that's their business. I handle <laughs> I handle regular drunk just fine. Hey, anybody, <laughs> anybody, everybody, you're listening to the Drunk UX podcast. This is episode number 37. We're going to be going over Oops. the Gutenberg accessibility audit with everybody's favorite WP campus person, Rachel Cherry. She is here on the other microphone across the table from me, but not really kind of a virtual table. I don't know how the system works. Uh, save me, Aaron. <laughs> um, I'm your other host, Aaron, and I'm also here. With WP Campus, Rachel Cherry. It's weird. You are too? It's so strange. The irony of this is, right? So Rachel is joining us from Ithaca uh, this evening. And hey, I of live course, in Ithaca. Aaron is in Ithaca. What? Aaron, I don't think you're going to see Rachel, right? Uh, I mean, Ithaca's small, but not that small. <laughs> and, and so next week is the Web Accessibility Summit And so Rachel's coming down to Southwest Missouri for that And I'm going to that And I will actually get to see Rachel next <laughs> week like, <laughs> This is like the Link, this is like the Lincoln-Kennedy thing That's like, yeah, it, in here. yeah. It, it, It's a very strange amalgamation of timing and people That's going on <laughs> on the show uh, this evening um, <laughs> Let's see, uh, get the, the normal crap out of the way First off, uh, if you like the Drunken UX podcast If you enjoy what we do Go thank our sponsors, NewCloud, over at NewCloud.com slash DrunkenUX. Um, they do interactive maps and have a backend and do illustrations um, and have some other neat accessibility stuff that they're going to be uh, launching at uh, the Accessibility Summit for the first time. That'll be something to go check out uh, there on Twitter and shared some stuff about that earlier today. Uh, Speaking of Twitter... Tweets. Tweets. Check us out on the Twitters at Drunken UX. And also Facebook. And don't forget about Instagrams, Drunken UX Podcast. And be sure to come over to drunkenux.com slash slack and come chat with us on there. Shout out to Jonathan and Justin M. I am drinking something that Justin M. recommended. What's that? Well, I remember this conversation, but I don't remember what it was now. The Basil Hayden. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bourbon. It is quite smooth. 
it is a good recommendation. So thank you, Justin M. Damn it. Now I got to go buy another bottle of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I cracked open a brand new bottle of monkey shoulder this evening. This is from batch number 27. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, but even as somebody who like, I, I will drink a blended scotch, but I don't love it. Uh, but man, monkey shoulder has earned a permanent spot in my bar. It is so good. It's uh, funny when you, I swear, when you first talked about monkey shoulder, I thought you were making up. Uh, like I thought, I thought it was just like, like a thing like, like, oh yeah, I got some monkey shoulder. And then I gave you the history lesson. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everything's got to come from somewhere. Speaking of everybody or everything coming from somewhere. Joining us this evening is the director of WP Campus, the solver of all your CSS placeholder issues, the the not quite late but always great Rachel Cherry. Rachel, thanks for joining us this evening and taking some time away from uh, the mountains of work that I know you have uh, <laughs> take care of that you could be doing right now. Good evening, gentlemen. I am Hello. happy to be here. I am not drinking beer. I am, but I am nursing some caffeine. <laughs> That's hey everybody's got to have their vice and I applaud you for that. It's certainly more responsible than what we're doing. <laughs> if, if Rachel sounds familiar, go back and check out a build process. I think it was episode three or four. Uh, I didn't, I, so. yeah. I didn't pre-check, but um, Rachel joined us back then and, and talked about her career and how she got into development and all of this stuff. That's very great. Listen for anybody who is thinking about how they could get started in this stuff. So go check that out. But um, Rachel is a fountain of knowledge on, just everything WordPress, right? You are the expert at this point, I think is the way that we should describe you. <laughs> I think that's a little, uh, a little bit of a stretch, but... but... <laughs> too, too much, too much there. That, but you are important, right? Because uh, when with all the Gutenberg stuff that was coming up and when, when WordPress announced this and started rolling into all this development, uh, I want to say, what was it, about two years ago at this point, the first sort of alpha preview plugin started rolling out and people started playing with this new, mm -hmm. new editor that, that was coming out. And it was about that time that the first concerns kind of started trickling out and we've got, we'll go back and we'll throw some links in our show notes about this uh, because we've, we've linked to them before um, some of these articles talking about the different issues that people were worried about then that they saw things that weren't, putting accessibility first that the you know features were getting designed without a thought towards this and that problem was something that started gestating you know what 18 months ago at this point 24 months ago i think it was uh episode eight was when we talked with um it was jeff right jeff chandler about gutenberg oh yeah 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 oh wow yeah and I, and i remember we um we were talking about some of the like potential accessibility issues yeah, that was that was right after that first big alarm got raised, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that was uh, what was it last year? Um, I can't remember what what month it was, but um, Ryan Reitvelt, if anybody's familiar with uh, with her, she was the accessibility lead uh, for was and and Rachel, you can maybe you maybe know this. It was she she was the accessibility lead for WordPress, right? Not just the Gutenberg side of things. She was um, so WordPress has teams that focus on certain aspects. And so there's a design team and a marketing team and there's an accessibility team. And she was one of the team, um, technically their, their, term, their label is team rep. And even, <laughs> although that's a whole other conversation because they're really team leads 
you know, and a label is a label. In reality, they these people do lead these teams. They're the ones that keep the balls rolling and the ones that, you know, keep their come up with initiatives and try to move them forward. Uh, we could have a whole other conversation about the lack of governance in WordPress if you want to have that conversation. <laughs> but anyway, so she was a team rep slash lead. And she, among other people that were also team reps and really involved accessibility team, that was that was the height of months and months and months of frustration because they were not only you know saying that there were problems they were pointing the problems out and they were you mm. know trying their hardest to express this to the gutenberg team and a lot of it was falling on deaf ears you know why it was falling on deaf ears you know it's i i'm not on the inside i, I don't know exactly why but on the outside, it was a point of constant contention and just frustration. Ultimately, from my outward viewpoint, and my, this is all my opinion looking in, you know, I a, a lot of the problems um, with Gutenberg in regards to accessibility, you know, really started early on because it wasn't um, it wasn't considered during the design process. So all along, there were a lot of the issues with Gutenberg are a, a very much a base design issue and you can run it through all your testing tools and, and, you know, it'll be HTML valid markup, but it's still, if you know, we know that that doesn't necessarily mean anything. That's not the end all be all of accessibility. And so when you look at Gutenberg, there's a lot of design problems and it's really, um, it's really hard to, it's not, it's not only hard to communicate that to designers, uh, it's, but then you add on extra layers where you're, it, you're trying to express this to a team that's clearly being very rushed and they're also, you know, being frustrated. They, you know, it's, it's hard to hear, it's hard to hear this stuff. It's hard to sit there, design something, build it, and then have all these people tell you there's a problem, especially yeah. when mm -hmm. it's really hard to communicate how to fix that problem. Like there's not an action item, sit down, you know, change this thing here and it's fixed. Like ultimately, the, <laughs> you know, like that would be nice if we could just, you know, and we do have a lot of that from the audit. We had about 90 of those things, do this thing and it's fixed, but it still doesn't solve the core problem that there's a lot of, um, there's just a, um, there's just a real problem with how it's designed and how the use, how the user experience is like. And there's a lot of cognitive load issues and um, one of my favorite phrases that came up in this whole process was um, someone called it the thousand tabs of death. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, Sounds like my browser. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, like all you can do at that point is kind of laugh at it. The reality is not funny, but the it is like that's just what it feels like to a lot of people that you have to use a keyboard. Mm. It does kind of feel like a thousand tabs of death. The, the reality, right, is that it's a very forest through the trees kind of problem. Uh, when you talk about being able to look at one little piece of it and say, oh, it's good, but when you put all those pieces together, that's where it starts to kind of be like, oh, nobody's paying attention to that picture. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, from from a lot of people, myself included in the community, our outside perspective very much felt like a lot of accessibility and user experience wasn't really considered before it started being built and during the design, there probably wasn't user testing, things like this. And on top of that, throughout the process, um, it felt very uh, design as you go, 
like you know that they would they had a design and then it was just like they were figuring it out as they went so things got <laughs> things got placed as they were built out and and you know there wasn't there i'm sure there were a few times when they were able to kind of stop okay we need to make this design change let's look at it from the top down and figure it out but i imagine like 80% of the time they just kind of like we need a thing let's just put it there and move on and yeah. you know <laughs> I, I was thinking about this earlier today and I know this isn't like a higher ed specific phrase, but it's something that I, you know, you hear a lot, I think, in our higher ed communities about like, uh, if it, it kind of feels like Gutenberg was like um, a camel, you know, a horse designed yeah. by a committee. You know, like, <laughs> it, it was, it feels very much like it was designed by a committee. It was designed as they went and which is a whole other slew of user experience issues too. From an, from an engineering side, it, I, Gutenberg's built in, React or React, React. One of the, yes. yeah, yeah, and React is is entirely component based, and so it, I think it's, um, if you're approaching the problem from the idea of building up from components, I think it can be easy to sort of uh, fail to see the holistic picture if you're just building up these individual pieces. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is challenging, and and definitely like, um. I feel for the people building this and I'm sure if they could go back and do it all over again, they'd, they'd change a few things. Um, it's definitely, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully what a lot of people get out of this is it's a learning experience. They can. And you're talking about the, um, the tool. This is about the tool itself, not what's generated by the tool, right? That's, that's what the accessibility issue is with. Yeah. For the most part, there's a few pieces okay. where the output isn't accessible, but it's only really a couple of components. Um, and it's very minor mm -hmm. on the scale of issues. The biggest one, I think that it's probably the most inaccessible markup that's being created is the table, um, block. Yeah. It doesn't let, it doesn't even let you create header table headers. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've, I have tried it. It's, it's not even an access accessibility issue at that point. Like for somebody like me, it's literally just a usability thing that I can't make a table do the things I need a table to do using that tool. Oh yeah. So like you can't even, you can't make table headers, which basically, I mean, <laughs> out the box that's inaccessible and like, right. and so there was something else it doesn't do either. And so then there was a few other components, very minor, like like one little thing to add. Uh, you can add caption files to videos uh, or something like that. And but yeah, the output wasn't too bad. It's mostly the the ad the admin app itself. Yeah, and the audit itself, right, focused almost entirely on that because there were three tasks that were involved in this that they asked the users to do. And they all were, it was all a publishing process kind of thing. We, the, it was focusing very much on the, the back end side, not that front end side. Is that a correct, uh, uh, you know, assessment of that? Yeah, it was part of the, um, part of our RFP and part of their project and audit was to, was to look at the markup that it makes. But, uh, for the most part, uh, that I think what you're talking about is like the user testing. So like, they did yeah. user testing and obviously the the user testing they didn't do user testing on the front end markup they just did user testing on the admin app itself but they just they just kind of looked at the markup that it makes and made sure it was valid what we call that in a lot of areas is is gigo garbage in garbage out like even if the <laughs> tool is perfect in every way it can be 
Like, you can convert any block to HTML. You can always go in there and muck it up and cause output to be something that is non-optimal. And even, uh, Aaron, you and I had this conversation and and mm-hmm. had to correct that uh, because I commented on, an, uh, like, a super early version of the color picker that I had seen. Right. And I hadn't right. used it recently enough to realize they had fixed it, but it was the same kind of thing that you you can, and even with the warning, you can still pick two colors, a background and a foreground color on an element in Gutenberg that would, yeah, that don't pass uh, contrast standards. And you can publish that. It will warn you, but it won't stop you. I think, I think you can do like, you could probably do a green background with red text and that would pass contrast standards, but oh my gosh. (laughs) Then we question your, your intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, There was definitely one component that, I think it was, yeah, videos. So basically in Gutenberg, you can tell a video component to autoplay, which isn't accessible. So basically it's like, I was talking to somebody, I was tweeting about it. I'm like, I was literally, I think I just tweeted like, yeah, we should just remove that. And people, you know, somebody was like, well, we should, you know, we should give people the choice. And I'm like, no, there's like no like that's there's literally you no are enabling people to, to make inaccessible websites if you do that no like i don't that point you don't that, that's like a really hard you know zero one situation just to tr- remove it was speaking of zero one wasn't that our first episode was auto playing videos yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of that is i'm actually dealing with a use case right now in a gutenberg block that is trying to replace like an animated uh jife you're welcome, Aaron. Is that our? Uh, that's. <laughs> is that our new? You, you can thank Aaron for that one. Okay. I almost spat out my whiskey. <laughs> oh, that made my night. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> we we've got an animated GIF of uh, an action being taken within a web app. No audio. It's just a a purely you know uh, motion based thing, and they want to replace that with an a video because the video is a smaller size as a consequence because it's properly compressed gifs are good for that very simple function but a they don't compress well and they're pretty you know they're pretty sizable um so that's actually an an issue that we're running into right now in a discussion i'm having in a feature that they want an autoplay video because they want it to be like an animated image and the the back and forth that that is involved in that from an accessibility standpoint well does it have audio it has no audio I mean, so yeah, see, it's, it's making the case for why you might want to allow that autoplay at that point, because it is just doing the thing. Another thing is doing just with a smaller file. Well, my brain goes to, I mean, I think, I think the reason why it's inaccessible is just because it starts playing audio and audio. um, It's just, you can't quickly turn it off. And so if it's if it's playing a video, I wonder if accessibility um, either APIs or or devices still even register like they know that a video is playing and do something even if there's no yeah. audio. It, it's an an argument for making the right argument for the right reason is the kind of thing that I see there in terms of you know should it autoplay should it not should we have the ability to do that. And people saying, well, yeah, sometimes I want auto-playing video, but if they can't make the argument for the use case that would be accessible, 
it makes it hard to understand. And that's why, you know, we get into a lot of this. And I know the accessibility topic is something we've covered several times and it gets even boring at times. And I don't (laughs) care because it needs to be something that we go over and consider those kinds of things and help people learn not just to think about it, but also defend it in those cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, you, and I mean general you, not Michael and Rachel you, uh, may not care about accessibility. However, there are a lot of organizations that use WordPress because WordPress is used everywhere that are like federally required to worry about accessibility and 508 issues. And so it's it creates a problem where they now have to deal with, well, you know, do we roll back to an earlier version of WordPress that didn't have Gutenberg or do we switch CMSs entirely? What do we do? Because we're we're bound to uh to adhere to this requirement i was just gonna say and even if you're not federally regulated uh there are a lot of civil suits and they are they Mm -hmm. are getting more and more by the day like i hear about them all the time now and so you know just the other like (laughs) i mean this is a big grand scale example but i think what like a few days ago they there was an article about that one in california (laughs) like like basically all of California like sued Xerox or something because they made this like <laughs> reservation website that's inaccessible and it was like $22 million <laughs> website or something like that. And Holy crap. Basic- was it because there were so many copies of the website? <laughs> 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 and, but, so you do hear a lot about big organizations and, you know, but I hear a lot about smaller ones. Um, I was funny enough. I was getting my hair cut in Ithaca I moved to Ithaca earlier this year and I'm getting my hair cut and this woman asked me what I do for a living and I'm like, oh, well, I, I make websites, you know, to kind of briefly summarize what I do. And and um, I just like uh, coincidentally, she starts talking about web accessibility. Huh. And I was like, well, funny enough that you, you know, ask about that because that's what I do, basically. And she uh, starts telling me about all these local uh, businesses that are um, all getting sued and how this the trouble they're having because there's all these like mom and pop stuff and whatever. And and mm-hmm. so, yeah, it can happen and it can happen to anybody. And so that's another reason to care about all this on top of like the 40 other reasons to care about it. But so I, I'm, I'm curious, and this is not specifically related to Gutenberg, but when, when a mom and pop business gets sued, are, are they liable or is the person that made the website liable? I mean, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it, one, it's, it's both. It's trickle down. It I think, down. I think, okay. I think developers are responsible to an extent, but, but I, I think if you are if you are going to have a website and you are going to use a website for your business, then you have a responsibility as well to make sure that your website is accessible. And part of that means like hiring devs and making sure they you know what they're you know they understand that and they're looking out for that and you know they're doing stuff like that. But I don't I do think the responsibility falls in the business owner's hands as well as um, the developer's hands. The uh the analog I think or comparison analog comparison analog that yeah that's correct uh that falls there I think is with copyright law because mm. with when it comes to a civil suit under copyright law um it's a like Rachel was saying it's very trickle down in terms of if you get sued you will get sued as the business because you are the business displaying the image 
if you right. have an image on your website that's been copyrighted. And then if you are found liable for that copyright infringement, it is then your responsibility to turn around and go to the people that you hired as a consequence of that and sue them. If you did not, you know, if they chose that image, you know, shit runs yeah. downhill in that case. And so you can sue them for that and try to pass that off and and then so forth and so on until the court says, no, you can't hand this off anymore. It's, you know, you are the terminal point of infringement, but there's this sort of fall over effect. That, and I think from an accessibility standpoint, I don't know why that exact same thing wouldn't apply. Like, if you're sued, it's it's the business's responsibility to be compliant. Yeah, it it does. That's really tricky though, because if you have a if you're a if you're a mom and pop business, if you're a locally owned business, and you have to hire out your website, it's probably because you don't really know much about that, and you may know, well, I need a website on that World Wide Web thing, but you may not even have heard of accessibility issues or have considered how it might be an issue with that. Like you know, we not we all know about handicap accessible entrances because that's been in the zeitgeist enough but something like this though you may not even know to ask for that. yeah but it, that's it's not appreciably different from a copyright at that point yeah you know it's... you may know a little bit more about it just because we've taught you know you hear it in the lexicon a lot more but legally the application is very similar the purpose is very similar and so the resolution i think judicially would be the same thing at that point yeah, somebody wouldn't sue mm -hmm. your website developer. They would sue the company. And then, like Michael yeah, said, it'd yeah. be up to the company whether or not they want to turn around and sue the developer. Because, yeah, once you're sued, then you're going to really know about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is, it's, it's, um, it's, it is a little, you know, it sucks for these mom and pops that are getting sued. And, um, and you're right in the sense that they just didn't know. But that's kind of like the, it's a hard lesson to learn in the sense of this digital age ever growing that we live in and how, you know, we're kind of fake. A lot of stuff is so very ad hoc on the web. We don't have, you do have ADA. You know, if you set up a mortar store, there's all these things that you legally have to do before you can open up and you have to, you know, be accessible physically. Um, but we don't have that, those laws for the web. And so it's a whole, you know, I, I hope that one day we will but we're not there yet. And there's definitely this, you know, I, I feel for these mom and pops or whatever, but that's kind of the, sadly, just right now, one of the prices of doing business. And if you're going to have a digital business, if you're going to have a business that works online, then you need to understand the internet. And that's yeah. just... This, this, this is like the, this is like the talk to your kids about drugs. This is like talk to your mom and pop about accessibility. <laughs> <laughs> and is it really that different from building a a, a brick and mortar you know if you hire a contractor to build your business for you and they don't you know make sure you've got either ramps or an l you're, you're building a, a six-story building and you didn't put an elevator in it you know whose fault is that once you know the the doors have opened and so that you know that process i think even though there is certainly that burden that falls to the small business owners it's also not something that they aren't familiar with in other aspect yeah i mean it's something mm -hmm. that you should be like i was saying like if you're like i, I mean basically yeah. it's just it if you're gonna have an internet business you need to understand the internet you need to understand how the internet works and how users work just like you would need to understand how humans you know might come into your brick and mortar so it's 
hopefully people, you know, learn more and more. Hopefully one day we get to the point where there are some better standards <laughs> and requirements whenever that day comes. I always come back to my dad because he's a shop teacher now, um, but he spent, you know, decades being in construction and a handyman and, and all that. Um, I say handyman, that really devalues what the work he did. <laughs> um, my dad is an amazing guy. He's the best teacher I've ever met, uh, probably bar none. And I don't say that as a son. I say that as somebody who respects good teaching. Um, but I always come back to the construction metaphors and the building metaphors because it's mm -hmm. the idea of knowing that I can go in and if I nail some two by fours together and put a couple two by fours in the middle, my wall will stay up versus understanding why your tape measure is highlighted every 16 inches. <laughs> it's that kind of thinking that I, that I think of with HTML and, and with web development is there are a lot of things you can do to get by that. Yeah. That will solve the problem, but aren't correct. And, and there's a lot of reasons why that's true. I am often frustrated when I see div class equals address, like div class equals quote, especially when it comes from vendor provided code. It's like, come on, guys, we're paying you how many thousands of dollars and you're giving us this like bush league shit? Like, <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> come on, like just block quote it. And I actually, yeah, I, yeah, I've sent I've sent emails. I'll just say that. <laughs> sent <much>. Emails. <laughs> so. Back in October, everything hits the fan. Ryan says, I'm taking off. I'm done trying to push accessibility at WordPress. I'm going to greener pastures. That happened and caused a kerfluffle, as uh, the words are used, because everybody said, oh, crap, Gutenberg's inaccessible. The accessibility uh, rep, as it were, is leaving. Um, and it brought a microscope down on that issue very quickly. And so that's when, uh, Rachel, WP Campus stepped in and said, hey, let us help with this process. Explain just real, you know, real quickly for me, what was sort of that inspiration? Because I, I presume that, you know, this was something that had been, you'd been thinking about for a while, because you guys announced this very quickly <laughs> um, after that happened. Uh, we actually, it we hadn't been thinking really about it. Uh, there was, we were following along and I was following along. There were, yes, when, um, I think technically her name is pronounced Rion. Um, there's another, there's another Ryan in my WordPress group and I can never remember how each I'm one spells it. I'm not from the Netherlands. It's okay. so I apologize. As somebody with a German last name, I'm used to mispronouncing names or hearing it. So I, I um, ask uh, forgiveness. <laughs> um, but I, I'm just going to say Rian. Um, she, when that happened, I'll, yes, it, it blew up and that team had been trying to get attention for a while and they had been working so hard to raise these concerns and just nothing was happening. Part of when the audit finally came out, the report came out, a lot of it was just confirming the things they'd been saying all along. And I, I hope that they felt some joy out of that and just being affirmed for their expertise. There was some discussions on the Gutenberg repo because Matt Mullenweg designated an, access, an actual accessibility lead that's good. His, I forget his, I think his name was also Matt. Yeah, his GitHub handle was like Tofu Matt or something like that. 
And um, I say this, I preface what I'm about to say with, I don't know, Matt. He seemed like a super nice guy. I, it kind of felt like he was tossed into the weeds. And ultimately, he wrote a GitHub issue that basically was called Do an Audit and Write a Blog Post About It. Yeah, I which, remember that post. Was, I read it. I followed it. Which was really <laughs> interesting thread. I recommend you find it. It's You know, you can still go look at it. And so they, at one point, said they were going to do one and then retracted that statement. And, and but, but what a lot of us were trying to get out of them was to basically say whether or not an audit would halt the release. Like, would, right. we, would we halt right. the release depending on the results of an audit? Before they even said no audit, they said it wouldn't halt the release. Um, so that was frustrating. Mm -hmm. And then they basically said no audit. I don't know how much time passed between that and every Thursday in the Dopey Campus Slack, we have a community meeting. And, you know, we all talked. I forget how the conversation started, but I was so proud of our group that day because I, I won't take the credit. It wasn't my idea. Like, it, you know, like doing the audit wasn't my idea. It was someone mentioned it in that meeting. Well, why can't we do the audit? And I said, well, why can't we? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you voluntold yourself is yeah. what happened <laughs> i mean because we were there was lots of concern because um as we kind of mentioned earlier about federal regulation those of us in the campus community are the majority fall under section 508 because we work for universities that accept federal funding mm -hmm. and what that means is that we are required by law to provide accessible technologies you know, it, these campus community members, you know, upgraded to WordPress 5.0 and had an inaccessible editor, then we could be breaking the law. You know, like we have to have this audit. We have to know before we can use this editor. Yeah. And so why don't we do it? And so uh, Brian DeConnick volunteered to organize, to like lead the effort. So basically behind the scenes, it was me and Brian. Uh, Brian did a lot of the, Brian did a lot of the work um of making sure stuff got done it was a pretty big joint effort and we got the ball rolling we announced he put he put together that rfp we shared it with a lot of people got some feedback released it uh there's a timeline on the website i can never remember i think we started in like october i think it was late october when it came out yeah we got about seven responses i think it was so we formed a selection committee that that was that was some uh, rough work. I remember I was I remember having a lot of our meetings. I was in um, I was in Asheville, North Carolina, sitting at this coffee shop. Yeah, that's um, where my office is. <laughs> but anyway, we had the selection committee, um, and we went with Tenon. It was basically came down to a lot of variables: price being one, kind of testing principles. You know, another variable that took some people out of the running were, were we, we wanted this to be open. We wanted the report to be shared. We wanted the mm. information and education to be available. And some people, for super valid reasons, their educational component in the sense of like, if you read their issues, you know, they'll have links to like how to learn how to fix it kind of thing. And they were private. Like you have to have a login to mm. look at them. And it was like, mm. well, we can't do that because 
you know, we want people to be able to see how to fix them and stuff. And so they couldn't open that up to us. So that took them out. So there, there were a lot of variables came down to tenant. They did the report. And so we released that, uh, it's been like three weeks now. Um, and mm-hmm. they did a great job. It's super thorough. And yeah. it's like a, over a hundred pages. Well, oh. the, no, the technical report's yeah, three, like 329 pages or, yeah. uh, you know, it's, the executive summary is 30. Executive summary alone <laughs> is 30. They gave a lot of materials and stuff. It was, yeah, it was super. I spent the weekend after we released it reading the technical report and like live tweeting it. And that was fun. And if you, if you aren't following uh, Carl Groves, who is the guy who founded Tenon, um, go check him out on Twitter. It's just at Carl Groves. As just a weird irony, I had, I was, I've been following him for some time on Twitter. So when I found out they were the ones doing the audit on top of that, it was like, oh, that's, very interesting to see these sort of worlds colliding <laughs> in that way. Um, yeah. And his, it, the stuff he shares is, is fantastic. And yeah, there, I think I, I certainly can't complain about the choice of going with them by any means. Um, yeah. I think anyone that we went with would have been, you know, would have done a great job. Yeah. It came, like I said, it came down to the details, but they did a great job. They were a lot of fun to work with. Was I'm I, I don't mean to make this a gossip thing, but what was the response from WordPress, like proper central WordPress, when the report was released? <laughs> oh well, the WordPress community resp- has responded very positively. Mm-hmm. Actually, like with I was the day we released it was a really great day. I just a lot of people just took hold of it and dove in. They Carl oh. and Tenon went into you know, to the Gutenberg repo and added like 90 issues. And so within like an hour of the report being out, uh, I was monitoring a bunch of WordPress Slack channels and like the, a bunch of like the the accessibility channel for obviously, and the design and the core editor channel like leaped on it. They went into the GitHub repo and tagged all their issues and made a GitHub project and, started having like triage meetings and, and, you know, one group was talking about trying to organize a, a, a multi-team accessibility release or something. I don't know if that's still happening or not, but it's so the general initial response was really positive. I, I haven't really been monitoring it the last week or two. I don't know if they're still, you know, working on it or what's happening. I, I did actually, uh, check out GitHub ahead of time. And I know that, of course, 5.0 went gold, what was the end of December, I think, because everybody was up in arms mm-hmm. about it being over Christmas. Uh, it was and, like the day before WordCamp US, wasn't it? <laughs> like... Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! 5.1 came in, in February. <laughs> has will have shipped by the time you're listening to this episode. Um, and at my rough count, like just in the last month, over 75 tickets had been closed in just the accessibility uh, uh, label on GitHub. So they definitely are responding to those, and, and kudos have to go out to those folks for seeing those things and trying to jump on them, I think, because that's, that's a lot of motion to see under you know one header, so to speak. It's been great to see the response, and it's been, yeah, definitely lots of kudos to all of them. Um, for jumping on it and with such a vigor. Yeah. And so all, so basically the be, you know what what I really hope comes out of all of this is just a lesson learned 
that going forward, you know, we uh, we think about these things before we put them in decor, um, before we design <laughs> them, before we, you know, do all this stuff. And so we don't have, you know, we, we learn from history and we don't repeat ourselves. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. So the Tinan group in the review, and this is a quote I lifted straight out of the uh, executive summary, was during the technical review, Tenon staff logged a total of 90 issues across 16 components tested. As the data in this report will show, there is an average of 18% failed check items per component, with 63% Jeez. of issues impacting at least three user populations. 69% wow. of issues are medium or high severity. And finally, 53% of the issues logged in the technical report are level A success criteria. <laughs> so, it's I mean, it doesn't paint a fantastic picture and i know the the ending of the report was tweeted around several places about how this is like a how it has i think the phrase is pervasive accessibility issues that'd be like making a car where you had to be like 510 to be able to reach the brake pedal (laughs) (laughs) the report is pretty scathing you know it's it is but i want to i a I think it's worth pointing out that they were complementary of the output for the most part. <laughs> the car looks nice it's, on the outside. Yeah, it's shiny and sparkly if, you know, if you can see it. <laughs> it, it it's <laughs> like those uh those like fancy uh 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 kit cars they build out of Volkswagens that looks like super cool right. old like uh BMWs from the 40s but they're just VW bugs underneath. Yeah. <laughs> they did they tested three things right they were looking at how to create content how to edit content and how to edit the options on those things what do you mean edit options? like uh, with a block so a block has the options panel off to the right hand side so oh, oh you oh, could you could add it. a class right. to a block you could it, depending on the block that you're uh working on Maybe you can set the font size. Maybe you can set the color. You know, those kind of uh, options at that point. I want to ask a question very directly to these results. Um, I was reading through and, and reading, like, the, the SUS scores. The The SUS score is the... Uh, System usability super... score. Or... Yeah, u- yeah, usability score, yeah. yes. So on creating content, they gave that a 90, which is a good score. 100 is a perfect score. They are very uh, quick to point out that it's not a percentage-based system. It's more of a, a quartile kind of measurement. But a 90, fantastic score. But it had a 0% completion rate for visually impaired people. And oh that, was a, that was like a weird combination of scores to me when I was reading through it. And I didn't see it explained. And I don't know if, Rachel, if you know more about that. Per- that's, I know that's a really specific question. It was something to do with, like... They could use it, but they still couldn't complete. Like you could get through most of it, but you couldn't finish it. Like you couldn't complete it. It's like, yeah, it's like being able to go through Gutenberg and I can add all these blocks and do all this stuff, but you can't hit the publish button with the keyboard. You know, like yeah. And the the reason why this I think is important, especially from a you know completion percentage type of standpoint, is all of these were measured against Gutenberg as it exists now in a sort of a vanilla state but even like i i have started getting into gutenberg block development now i'm building my own block so i'm adding my own different inspector controls and things like that to the to the options every time somebody like me is touching that system 
and either you know maybe i'm extending the advanced options that are available for an existing block or things like that every one of those is sort of an area to introduce additional failure and so the results that come out of this are maybe somewhat frightening uh uh frighteningly a little bit optimistic i think in that way because the plugins you add, the code you write as a developer, any of those things may impact the overall accessibility of the platform then uh, from that standpoint. And that's that's a tough one, I think, for a lot of people to kind of grasp onto and, and realize. I think one of a, like a high-level lesson from this entire experience is kind of addressing the reality that... So you have a community and an open source project that is built off the backs of these volunteers that are a wide range of skill sets. For the most part, a lot of Gutenberg was built by automatic employees, which you should argue that they are website making professionals, not, you know, mm-hmm. random Joe McGee in their home office on their Saturday afternoons. There's something to take away in the sense that there's a lot of, there's a big gap of knowledge and um, know-how and experience when it comes to making accessible app, web apps and technologies and things to look out for. And, and as we've learned and as we've discussed, like basic HTML markup that's just not being used correctly and that um, is an issue kind of widespread across our community in general in the sense that we don't really have a focus on accessibility. We don't, it's not a priority. Like I, there's, there's no getting around that. It's not a priority in our community. And until it becomes one and we begin to focus on initiatives that promote and educate, uh, we are going to continue to have this problem where it's not, you know, not only is core still struggle with accessibility in and outside of Gutenberg, but, you know, that's where these people that are building plugins and themes, you know, they look to code, I'm sorry, they look to core as a source of code examples, you know, and we copy and paste that stuff. We copy and paste stuff from like top level plugins you know, like Jetpack and Yoast and whatever thing, you know, and people replicate that and build other things out of it. We look to the codex, you know, we look outside of WordPress too, you know, Stack Overflow and all kinds of, you know, crappy tutorials online. But, you know, this is where we're getting our education from for the most part. And until, you know, we as a community have a priority on accessibility and not only just in core, but in educating and requiring it from our community of devs, this will always be a problem. We're all looking for that source of truth, right? Like that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. And that's where some of that responsibility, I think, comes into play from WordPress and Automatic directly is I we all, I think, appreciate the fact that they are offering a compelling, powerful, huge product to the world for free. but that doesn't come without a certain responsibility when you run 30% of the internet at that point. And so for those developers, I think they very much do look for that as in, and like you were just saying, Rachel, you know, going to the developer docs, going to the old codex, going to those resources and trusting that that is guiding me in the right way. um, I think is very important to those folks. 
I know I know that I've been critical of of React and some JavaScript frameworks in the past, but I I I think that I was not I was not that surprised when I heard that there were accessibility issues with it, uh, because of that. Because most of the experience that I've had so far with React and some React developers is that they just they're unaware of accessibility stuff. They just they don't understand or see that. I know that there's some out there who do and that do get it. But I think a lot of that is because um, you know boot camps are pushing modern JavaScript frameworks, and so we've got a lot of newer developers who are coming out to this, and they just don't have the experience to know why accessibility matters or where that comes from. Like they're coming into the story halfway through, they don't have the experience that you know all of us and many of you out there have with uh, you know doing HTML and CSS back in the 2000s and earlier. Yeah when it was a sort of like a nascent thing that was like becoming like, Oh, wait a minute. What? Not everyone can see the website that I'm designing. Correct. Like the way that I can. <laughs> the big thing about uh, the audit that came back from a problem area standpoint that I noted, like they, cause they broke down. If you go check out the executive summary, um, they've got uh, everything kind of Broken up a number of ways, actually. One of the deals they were looking at were the problem areas, kind of in a broad sense. Between block panel uh, and editing, media uploading, which was a surprise to me, because media uploading in WordPress hasn't changed for a long time. And the keyboard navigation is an obvious and clear one that we I think we all expected to see in there. But those were like the three big areas in terms of interactions that they found to be inaccessible. It's, I think, very telling from a standpoint of how much we take for granted point-and-click, quite frankly. Yeah, there were, um, there was some stuff in here that was just really bad, especially with the media stuff. I had a couple, I had a couple people reach out to me, like a couple of, like, WordPress core people that were like, damn. <laughs> they were like, that was hard to read like, i was shocked <laughs> by the way media popped up in that list be specifically because that was the one thing that has been there forever and all the gutenberg block does is just inline the button basically that says click this and then upload the your stuff and then it puts you into the normal uploader but it's you know it's like inlined into the page as a modal at that point so it's a little the flow has changed so to speak yeah, several people messaged me and were like, or or just commented in various forums that, um, you know, they were like, oh, I thought this was about Gutenberg. Why is the media thing in here? And it's like, well, you have to use the media thing in Gutenberg. Like, um, so that's why it got audited. But yeah, there was some, I'm trying to remember, like, I just remember right now I'm having trouble remembering exactly what these specific problems were, but there were a fair amount. Like, you you couldn't, like, tab between some of the files. I don't know, but... There was that that was pretty rough. Some of the keyboard stuff uh, was pretty rough. There, you know, like the, the document panel stuff was interesting. There's there's lots of data, obviously, in this app. This is a super complex app that, mm -hmm. you know, you when you have all this information, you've got to have some labeling for it. Otherwise, you know, someone who's just like hearing all this text read out to them has no idea what this context is. And so, you know, one of the problems was the document panel and the document panel is that thing that pops up at like the top left section of the app. That's like, you have so many headings and so many, yeah, like whatever, hmm. 
But I think it's like if you hear that with a screen reader, it was just like a bunch of like numbers next to like some words and it had no like you had no idea what huh. this data was and so there's stuff like that that a lot of people don't really think about like is there is did the accessibility report include uh like links to people using it with a screen reader? Do you mean like the user testing itself? Like did they release the user testing? Yeah. No, I think they yeah. talked about they might release it, but they they didn't know. But that's that's always an eye opener for a developer is to hear what it actually sounds like. And it's like, oh god, yeah, what did we do? A, a couple episodes ago, we did that and included the the screen reader output yeah. of image uh, alt text as a consequence. Mm -hmm. um, they did though, while they don't have like links to the actual output of that. I've got a dog barking in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Whose house is the dog at? We don't know. So what they did do is while they don't have uh, the actual audio output, we talked about that a couple episodes ago, right? Where we included, I forget what it was we were going over specifically, but we had um, the audio output of some image alts that were getting read out by a screen reader. And it was showing you how different applications kind of read it, you know, terribly as it were. Um, they do have a section that is all issues by platform while the output isn't there. Um, they did cover voiceover, they covered uh, Dragon Natural Speaking, they covered uh, Zoom text, in NVDA, JAWS, those things were tested. The thing that I found really surprising about that was when you look at the breakdown of issues by technology, 70 issues were logged that qualified as all. So the, the issues applied <laughs> regardless of what you were using. Number two was yeah windows with a screen reader was the the number two it had 15 so number one is 70 <laughs> number two is 15 and it really goes to this point of when you think about accessibility when you think about inclusive design and these concepts it's not about you know trying to compartmentalize different disabilities and and trying to treat this as a technical spec it's all about the technique you apply it's about painting right when you paint mm -hmm. and knowing how to use acrylics and and palette knives and things like that like the technique you use to apply all of these technologies we talk about is almost artistic in nature because you get back to that root problem that we started with the, at the start of this episode forest through the trees you've got so much detail that is getting so close to the issue that you lose the big picture yeah. They also broke it down and this is one area where I actually, you know, find myself as a developer running into problems. When we talk about the specific accommodations these things bring up. So 49% of the issues that were logged fell into the area of visual related, whether that's um purely blind or just people who were visually impaired. But that's half of all of the things. And we like that because it's easy to think if I close my eyes, how can I do it? And <laughs> that, that affordance and the way, you know, a developer, a 20 year old developer with great eyesight and no color blindness and no motor control issues, you know, with a sharp brain running on caffeine and vodka, you know, the way they approach uh, web design is very perspective related um, and that's one of those big challenges that I always find I fall into is I think about stuff like, 
I'll just, uh, what if I close my eyes and think about how I use this with a keyboard? But all of these things, when you start reading about the cognitive and, and perceptive uh, issues that were raised, like, okay, maybe I can get to it with a keyboard, but do I understand it when I get there? Those are really hard challenges, I think, to to face and to, you know, get through at the end of this. And it's something that uh, Gutenberg has, I think, specifically brought to the forefront because of how they nest, you know, the editor with the blocks, with the inspector controls, and it creates this weirdly deeply nested environment that does just inherently bring with it a lot of cognitive load. And we're not as good yeah. at that. We're not good at that process. I mean, even for, you know, ind humans, individuals like myself that I can see just fine. I could use a mouse. I can click point as long as the day, you know, as the day is long. And, and you know, it's still a lot of cognitive load just for me um, because of the way it's designed and the way it honestly is designed in a way where it assumes that you understand functionality um, and things, you know, hide and show themselves, you know, depending on where your mouse is and, you know, good luck clicking on some things and it, it might go away and it might be there. And a lot of accessibility is just inherent usability, whether or not, you know, you are using an assistive device um, or you are using a keyboard and a mouse and you can see the page. It's, it's not all about, you know, blind people and deaf people. Yeah, but each, but each component can be individually tested. And that's important. <laughs> it could be tested. But I used I used the act I used the axe tool and it didn't report any issues. But it could be tested individually. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where WordPress's sort of inherent philosophy of democratizing publication comes into play. That you can't do that if the platform itself is including these features that limit you know whether you're blind motor impaired cognitively cognitively impaired take your pick any of those issues uh limit your ability to then publish and that's where when we talk about this and i see threads on reddit i see you know uh posts on facebook whatever the case may be um uh, with people asking the question of why should i build for that tiny tiny percent of people who may touch my thing that's where I get frustrated uh, because that voice and that value is worth more than the numbers tell you to me. It doesn't, it doesn't take that much more effort to do this. It just means you have to do it differently. It, yeah. It, it, like doing, doing your headings correctly just means you have to know like which order to use them. Adding scope, scope row or whatever to your, your table and using table tags, you type TH instead of TD. And you do T head instead of T body. And, you know, knowing to make your, knowing to use input checkboxes instead of divs, that's less work <laughs> even. So I, I, I it's, I, I think it's bullshit if you don't want to do this. It, it, there, there are unsolved problems still, but we have solutions for most of them. And if you're not doing those, I mean, people who people who say things like, "Why should I do?" You know, "Why should I make my website higher quality and actually make my website correctly so that you know everyone can use it?" Are just you don't care. And if 
if you don't like take some pride in your work too. A lot of, I mean, just, it's just really frustrating to hear that kind of stuff. And so at some point those people will have, like they'll make a website and then their like grandmother or their aunt who suddenly has visually impaired or something will try to use it and not be able to. And then they'll have like an, like, and it'll make sense to them because it becomes personal, but like, you should not have to require it to be personal to care. It affects someone else. The fact that that person isn't someone who's in your sphere. I'm going to throw up a shield. I'm I'm going to put a shield over these people and I'm going to make you two feel bad because that just sounds fun right now. <laughs> that I don't help. know if that, that can happen, happen at this point. Here's yeah. the thing I'm going to, I'm going to put out there and I'm, I say it's a shield, but it's also a warning. What you guys are referring to is a little bit of that unknown unknown because the way people learn a lot of the responsibility falls on you, Aaron, you, Rachel, me, Michael, uh, and everybody listening who gets this conversation and understands the importance of it, the responsibility falls on us to make sure that we are teaching properly. Because when you are a developer who is self-taught, who is learning from the ground up, and you are that person who is framing in a wall who puts their studs in every 24 inches instead of 16 inches, and you get away with it because the wall stays up, <laughs> it is hard to know those things that you you don't realize the you know the load bearing weight that can be put on two by fours over the course of a a run you know there's a lot of that that comes into play and so i'm i'm personally hesitant to like go at those people real aggressively because i think a lot of it is just totally educational and the only people who can teach it are us i but but we do teach it and and I and I know that you're being speaking generally, but like more other people like us need to also teach it. Well, my perspective where I'm coming is from there's a difference between you just didn't know, now you know, and you still don't want to do it, which is what we're I think what we were talking about. Like people saying, Well, I don't see the value in that, so I'm not gonna sure. do it. Like right. they know, like <laughs> they at that point you know and you have a choice to say, you know what, now that I know, I'm gonna go and fix that or or you're that garbage human that says, I don't care, and I'm not going to do it. And that's what I we were. That's what I was talking about, because we get that that's, all the time. Like, now you know, but you just don't care. And Michael, that should be our next t-shirt, is that if you don't, if you hear about accessibility and don't no. do it. Let me, let me distill it down even easier. I'm just going to, it's just going to be a shirt that says, I know, I just don't care. I just don't care. Um <laughs> And then quote, there'd be like dash at the bottom, dash a garbage. <laughs> and, you know, those are the people that are on Reddit that are reading about all this stuff and saying, you know, I, I hear you and I see what you read, but I still don't care. And, and, and so, yeah, there's also this big element to like building websites and, and, you know, a lot of the web is very unstructured in the sense of education um, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of us that, you know, get paid for this and I consider myself a web professional. I've been doing it for a long time. I don't have a degree in web development, but, um, you know, I still hold myself, you know, to a certain standard, you know, like I, we should take pride in what we're making. If we're going to put stuff on the web, then we need to do it right. And <laughs> 
It's not my it's opinion. A fact. It's a fact. I mean, I'm, you're I'm sorry. Like, it's you're, you're a garbage human. human. I've made the but, same you know. argument to folks that it's like asking a chef to make a five star meal and put always save vegetables in front of them. That chef would walk <laughs> away from that. They would not build the thing they are being asked to build because they recognize the ingredients they are being given are not adequate to accomplish that. There, there's a, uh, there's a. Uh, it was at RailsConf this year. There was a talk about omotenashi, which is this, um, I forget the exact translation for it, but it's a thing in Japan where, uh, for example, the example that they gave that I thought was really great was you go to a cafe and then you, you sit down and you say like, and they offer you green tea. It's like, oh, I'd like sugar with my green tea. It's like, oh, uh, we don't do sugar with green tea. And they're trying to get you to save face because it's, there's a certain experience they're trying to give you. And and then the person insists, and they're like, "Well, we don't do it." And then they they insist again, and then they get the manager, and the manager's like, "Oh, we don't have any sugar." And they said, "Like, okay, well, uh, I'll just take a coffee then." And they bring the coffee out and has a pack of sugar <laughs> on the side of it. And and the the point was that that you know it's like the customer is always right. That's the attitude we have here in America, but in Japan they they are curating a very specific experience, and if you if the customer tries to deviate from that experience, they feel a, uh, they feel compelled to sort of guide you back towards like, well, I think you really want. It's like telling telling your client like you don't really want a carousel. <laughs> you, you don't like. I know you're saying you want a carousel, but that's not actually possible to do anymore. Someone changed the internet and you <laughs> can't serve carousels. Sorry, they made a law. Oh. <laughs> it's not it's they, not possible i legally i legally they can't invented the first web law that you can't have carousels where this really hits the ground running i think the the number that came out of the report was that 18 percent of the actions uh, were completely prevented from completing tasks that's one in five which most of us do more than five things when we publish a post They've got this barrier put in front of them that if they're trying to, whether that's publish media, get a video up correctly, do things that accommodate them, 18% of those people were stopped in their tracks. And out of the total number of issues that were raised with Gutenberg, 63 uh, of them were A-level failures. That's uh, If you're not familiar, uh, the WCAG spec mm. is divided into A, AA, and AAA. AAA is like the upper echelon, perfect across the board spec. It's very hard to achieve that, as it turns out. Double A is just kind of like the you're doing it right if you can up comply with double A. A level certification is like when you go buy the you know the grade A meat from <laughs> your butcher or whatever. It's it's rock it's rocks scotch. It is technically, technically scotch alcohol. at that point, but it really. <laughs> A-level uh, <laughs> compliance is incredibly easy, and that made up 53% of the the problems Jesus. that Tenen found in the audit. <laughs> That's the kind of thing where it's like, if you were to tell me, oh, yeah, we came back, we found you know 20 issues at AA, we found 30 issues at AA, that's okay, I get that. But 63 of the issues, over half of them are, are single <laughs> A-level problems, and... Complying with that is so easy and basic. That's where it's like, that's the head scratcher when I start looking at all of this data. <laughs> um, and that's where it does show how important it is. Go learn the specs. Go read these compliance issues because those aren't technical things. Those It's not about just, 
you know, figuring out the right technology and, and talking to 20 people and getting, you know, a, a, an accessibility lab. You don't need that to be A-level compliant. You just need to look at the spec and know when to use the right markup at that point. I want to throw out there uh, this idea of, A, I respect everybody who makes WordPress because they are building an incredible tool that is free to everybody. And I know that the devs that do this work are working their asses off for it. And that deserves respect. And I don't want anything that we've said so far to come off as like anything personal because it's not. It's it is absolutely not. And I know as much as anybody that sometimes you have extenuating circumstances that bear down on whether it's a, a feature release, a deadline, whatever that case may be. So I want to just take my hat off to those folks because I do think Gutenberg is the future of WordPress. I like Gutenberg now that I have gotten used to it. I think it works well, and I think that it will, in time, be the thing that WordPress needs. I don't disagree. I think the arrow is just yeah, I, I, the release schedule. The that, complaints and, the, and the issues, and I know that you know there are different folks who are very integrally involved in those things. Um, but I just want to put that out there that I do have a lot of respect for those folks. What I want to pivot to, though, and kind of round this out with is why this matters if you aren't a WordPress dev. Because everybody's building stuff, and maybe they're building it in React, but not WordPress. Maybe they're building it in Java. Maybe they're building it in Jekyll. Um, you know, maybe or Gatsby. Or Gatsby, Gatsby, as the case may be. <laughs> um, you know, Vue, Angular, you know, take your pick of all of these different systems. Maybe they're Python people. Hell, I don't know. Just plain HTML with an FTP. (laughs) (laughs) No CSS, just HTML. I want to ask this question, Rachel, very specifically. How do you get out in front of these things? You know, what what is the sort of the, the key nugget in terms of saying... I want to build a thing and I do want to build it right. And I understand that maybe I don't know all of the stuff. What is their course of action at that point? What's their resource? Should they go just read the the WCAG spec? Should they, you know, look up something else entirely? What is the advice that you would give that person? So it's a, there's definitely some different like audiences and for this question, whether you're a dev or you're a designer um, you know, and there's definitely even realm for, you know, content creators and things like that. But a lot of the onus falls on designers and devs and um, especially developers, I think, at the top. And what I would recommend people do is read the HTML spec and read the WCAG spec. They they have a really great tool. It's, I mean, it's it's a lot of stuff to read, but of walks you through everything it tells you what the rule is and it tells you it kind of walks through success criteria and even gives some examples and tells you really exactly what you got to do so um read that it's a really great knowledge um portal to kind of give you an idea of things to look out for you know as we discussed a lot of this is just making sure you have valid markup so on top of that, as I mentioned, you know, reading the HTML, but there's def- there are definitely some extra 
layers to really make sure you're covering accessibility. And most of that is just becoming aware uh, of what other, how other users surf the web. And I think, I, you know, a lot of people, they miss this, this particular gap in their web project, you know, timeline of user testing. Before you even get started designing something, you know, you really should lay it out, you know, design-wise, think it through, you know, uh, do some user testing, even with some visuals, um, start kind of the mock-up process. Um, because as, as we discussed, you know, a lot of Gutenberg issues are design issues where we had this really complex app and all the pieces weren't really thought through. And, and so, you know, doing that from the get-go um, would have been more valuable. And then uh, as you develop, constantly user test and iterate through it. You know, even if it's just you user testing in the sense of when you, every for every time you add something, you know, go through and um, turn on your screen reader and, you know, listen to it. Don't touch your mouse and only navigate with the keyboard. You know, can you do everything? You know, these are really easy things that developers can do during the whole development process through each step as they go along that can really make a difference. Because uh, sadly, what a lot of people do, they don't do that at all, for one, and then they go in at the very end and run, an, you know, some kind of testing tool, uh, and then they do the keyboard testing. And so then they find out they have to, you know, refactor their entire uh, mega menu or whatever, because you can't navigate through it. Mm. And um, if you had kind of thought of that beforehand and really thought that through more, how people might interact with it, then uh, you're going to save yourself a lot of kind of heartache. And ultimately, you're going to, you're, you really do learn a lot. You're going to create more valuable uh, markup, more valuable user experiences. And we've mentioned before, like uh, with, you know, Chrome has, and and Firefox, the Axe Accessibility Scanner, um, the the Site Improve, a Andy, 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 yeah. There are a lot of those tools, and, and a lot of us also emphasize the fact that those only catch so much. You know, they can catch those markup things, and the markup things are certainly a big part of that, but a lot of it is very qualitative. And just even throwing something out on Twitter and saying, hey, will somebody go use this and tell me what you think of it? If you If you... If you run a team, like if you're a manager type person, uh, one thing that we did at USCIS was we had um, one or we had a couple of people who were like uh, trained on 508 stuff. And so no pull request would ha like every pull request had to be validated for 508. Um, sometimes if it was like minor things, they would say like, OK, I'm rubber stamping this for now, but I'm going to go back later and test it. But generally speaking, though, you couldn't merge to master and push to production unless you had a 508 approval. And so like that is kind of testing at the end. However, what happens is that developers became very frustrated with, you know, like, oh, now I have to go back and fix all this crap again. And so you start building the iterative testing that Rachel was just mentioning into your uh, daily workflow when you're building things. You start checking for, oh, do I have scope? Do I have, is this the tab index set right? All that. Having standards that you setting standards for like if you are a manager you are a part of a team um set policy and standards that you cannot publish something 
if it you can't even you can't merge unless it passes you know test a b and c or whatever um and it can be a little frustrating at first but and like as um aaron pointed out over time it just improves everyone you know everyone wants to it will slowly kind of iterate their practices and they'll get better and better um and something that we struggle with in the wordpress community is that technically we do have a standard we that we're supposed to be WCAG 2.0 A, but as we've learned through the Gutenberg thing is that we don't enforce it. And, and which is what's the point of a standard if it's not enforced or a policy if it's not enforced. And I think that a bigger even part of that is developers need to stop looking at things, especially when it comes to accessibility very specifically, when somebody comes back and says, hey, you know, this doesn't, you know, I can't use my screen reader with this or, you know, we can't focus this correctly or whatever. They need to stop thinking about those issues as failures because I think that's what happens is you build something, it goes to QA or whatever your version of QA may be. And when all of those issues start coming back, you start feeling like these are all failure points. And it's it's not. <laughs> those are learning experiences for you to realize, oh, I didn't know that, you know, the focus state on this wasn't set or whatever the case may be. And once you know that it's important to do things like set focus and hover together for a lot of things, you know, that's just a technique issue that comes out of that experience. But too often we look at that criticism as criticism and it's, it's not, it's, their experience, not criticism of what you built. Yeah, we, I mean, the web development community, we have a lot of problems with ego. <laughs> and that, you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> In development? No, never. No, that doesn't happen. Not in development. I mean, at some point, like, it's it's a hard thing to learn to recognize that if someone comments on your code, it's like they're not commenting on you as a person. It's it's like I gave a talk one time that was like, you are not your code. <laughs> like, calm down. This isn't about you. And that's a lot of that's hard for a lot of devs to hear. Like I think I said this earlier. Like it's it's it can be it can be hard to like build something, put a lot of work into it, put it out, and then someone comes back and basically tells you 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 did something wrong. It's I think like the biggest, one of the hardest lessons that we as devs can learn is that it's okay. It's, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to miss things. The web is complex and building for the web is really hard. Front-end development is, whenever I hear people talk about how, like you ever hear those like back-end dev bros, you know, talking about how front-end work is not that hard. I just want to be like, yeah, I want to see you do it. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's the point is not to be perfect. The point is to give a damn, you know, like, and to give a damn about users and to give a damn about the quality of your work. And, and that's what you should really take away from that is that like, you know, someone comes back and says, Hey, like, you know, this thing isn't working for me. It's an opportunity for you to accept that feedback and to accept it as a learning experience and then and be like, oh, you're right. You know what? It did forget that and I will fix that and you'll learn and hopefully the next time you won't forget it. But honestly, you might forget it again and that's okay too. But like, 
we're humans and no one's expecting everyone to just be perfect all the time. They're just, we're just, we just expect you to try. You know what I think it comes down to is we are critical. We are incredibly critical. My God, I am critical of things that I wrote myself two, four, five, seven, ten years ago. Wait. Uh, First developers are are egotistical. Developers are critical. (laughs) The web is forgiving, and users are incredibly forgiving. All they want is accommodation. And if they find something that impedes them, all they're looking for is acknowledgement that that will be accommodated. And if it is, then they are the happiest people on the planet. We are the ones who create that critical nature, and we are the ones who put pressure on ourselves and act like it's a big deal. And even if it sounds like it's a, a the, the worst, I complain to Mint. Uh, I don't know if any, either of you use Mint um, for like finance monitoring. I bitched at them earlier today because they are still using Flash uh, to do data visualization <laughs> on some of their uh, their trend graphs. If they would just change it, they would find out that I am thrilled and happy and completely and totally resolved at that point. Yeah, my tweet was maybe a little rude and maybe even antagonistic, but... <laughs> But I'm accommodated, and then I'm done, and I'm happy, and I'm off and, and on to other things. And that's really what this all comes down to, and it's we put pressure on ourselves, and we read that uh, that meaning into things that sometimes isn't there, and just listen to your users. I think that's uh, the best point to leave folks with and and to understand. Yeah, it's... The point it's... that... The point that Rachel just brought up... I Sorry to interrupt. Uh, reminded me of a tweet that I saw yesterday which was, uh, I'll read the original tweet first and then the response, which is great. Um, I have so many huge, awesome projects to get to, but instead I just spent two hours failing to make some simple things wind up with CSS. It would have taken a couple minutes in 2018's iOS, in 2008's Cocoa, or 98's Win32, 98's macOS, etc. And the response was, if you think CSS is difficult and write bad CSS, the solution is to learn CSS, not to stick it in your JavaScript. If you CSS and shit, in a style sheet, it will be shit in your JavaScript too. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, a lot of it comes back to like when we make the web and we're, I think it was WordCamp US and I was, I was talking about, you know, like how it's not about us as developers. Like we make these things for people to use and it's about the users that are using them. And when they come back with feedback, they most of the time it's like, they just want to be heard, you know, for a lot of people in the kind of Gutenberg frustration was that a lot of people didn't feel heard and kind of going back to like what we do as developers and we make it about when people come back with feedback, we make it about ourselves. It's ego, you know, like we're, someone is telling us that something we built, we didn't, we messed up. And instead of taking it for what it is and learning and moving forward and like, hearing the feedback and whatever we we are we can be quick to defend make it about us make it into something critical instead of looking at it for what it is which is really it's like this person wants to use your thing but they can't use it and they're trying to tell you something and you know we should be happy for that you know like uh the alternative is if they don't care they don't use it you know otherwise why are we building things the big part of that, I think, comes down to this idea, too, that 
just because you hear their complaint doesn't mean it's their first. And it doesn't mean that it's their first with, you know, you necessarily. They may have ran into the same problem 20 times, 20 other places before they got to your site or your tool. And you're just the point at which they finally felt like nobody is hearing my concern. Yeah, And that's where some of that frustration also leaks out, I think. And that's another reason why it's so important to not take it personally, because it may be directed at you, but that's only because they are so used to being not heard on this platform. Yeah, at some point, yeah, at some point, like, the frustration reaches a level where it is about you, because they've complained, like, or they've commented like 40 times and you've ignored them every single time. Yeah, or or everybody for you has <laughs> ignored them. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's not about the code. It's about communication and expectation. Folks, kick back. Take yourself a quick break. We're going to take a break ourselves and come back here in about a minute and we will get you out of here. Thanks for listening and stay tuned in 65, 64, 63. 62-61 The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenUX. Rachel, thanks for taking your time this evening to sit down with us. I know it's been long. I know that there were breaks that were taken that folks listening at home will never know about because I'm trying to not take a tornado to the face at this exact second. Uh, it's a little spooky outside. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I ran down to the basement at one point in time. Is it your turn to fight the tornado this week with fisticuffs? There, what, isn't it uh, the story from Twister where he like walks out and he throws like a bottle of bourbon at the, the tornado and it goes away? I mean, there is no better story of my life, quite frankly, at this point. <laughs> you'd be, you'd just certainly armed to fight it. Yeah, least. oh, I am, I am more than well armed. At least uh, that, would, that's the thing. Like a tornado hits, I'm good because I'm like a rag doll. You know, I'm gonna get bounced around, and uh, I'm, I've, I've had enough scotch tonight that I'll just land fine. <laughs> Rachel, uh, take a second though before we get out of here because I want folks to know uh, where you're going to be, what you got going on, where they can find you, all of those things. Take a couple minutes and, and share that with everybody. Yeah, so I am a freelance software engineer and consultant. I focus mostly on higher education and accessibility and WordPress. So uh, I do a lot of audits for people and uh, or if you want me to go a step further and fix your problems, I have the skill set for that as well. Uh, 
All the rest of my time goes to WP Campus, which is an organization that I and the I, I founded, and it is for people that use WordPress in higher education. Uh, we also do a lot of accessibility focus as well. We have um, two conferences every year, and right now we are we have registration open for WP Campus 2019, which is in Portland at the end of July. Uh, we're about to announce the schedule, which I'm super excited about. It's going to be really great. I'm finding karaoke locations. It's tons of fun. Uh, come join us. We have workshops and you know lectures and just a lot of great networking and stuff. And uh, yeah, and next week I'm going to be at the Web Accessibility Summit with Michael here in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, Good crowd going to be there, as it turns out. Yeah, uh, I got I'm the list here the other day, and I was surprised by how big it is. I'm super excited. Um, um, just... This should be it. a drunken UX alumni. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there'll be multiple drunken UX guests there. Well, I, I remember <laughs> last year was the first year, and uh, I remember sitting with Michael. Uh, that's a, that's kind of it. You can, uh, BamaDesigner.com is my website. It's and a Bama designer on Twitter. Uh, I do tweet a lot about accessibility stuff. And um, yeah, the rest of my time, I'm just hanging out in cold upstate New York. It never seems to get warm. <laughs> I <laughs> promise it will. That's what you, that's what they keep telling me, the locals keep saying, but I'm, I, you know. During one of the breaks, I told Rachel that our last official possible frost day is May 28th, which is, I believe, factual. Um, but that it does get warm. Yeah, someday. so I'm, I'm gonna like tomorrow. <laughs> like I'm just gonna turn this into a weird movie. Yeah. About, yeah. So. From like the day after. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if you want to find us, check us out on Twitter or Facebook slash Drunken UX or on the Instagrams. We we post the Insta giggles there at slash Drunken UX podcast. Uh, all the things are going on. I'll I'll share some stuff from the accessibility summit while we're there. Um, I'm taking my mobile recording kit with me. Uh, maybe I'll sit down and, and talk to some folks uh, at that point. We'll see. I know everybody's busy. It happens. And in all of that nonsense and all of the stuff going on around your head, in all of the noise and all of the work and all of the, the fun, for one thing, and the one thing I can leave you with is to keep your personas close, but your users closer. Bye-bye. Later. Bye. Camping. Bye.